You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2007 Frankfurt Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. I was talking to a few friends of mine this week. I was texting them little reminders about uh, um, we're trying to find out how much uh, people are committing to share in our common fund so that we can make a budget that makes some sense for 2019, so it's like, hey, could you get your the, your common fund survey response in was uh, was kind of the refrain, and and if you want to throw your hat in the mix and we'll 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 count you along with everyone else to see how much we actually have. So if you want to participate in that, let me know. Um, but anyway, someone who is uh, real real kind of good at keeping track of these things was uh, lamenting. She was lamenting. Um, the fact that she didn't do it sooner, because she's usually on top of everything, and, and she and she didn't quite get there. And I, I was I, I I felt some uh, maybe some sympathy or empathy um, because too too many mics because it's it's a little bit uh, there's a lot there's there's a little bit extra emotional labor in this week I think and in this time, um, and so you might not have gotten to the thing you intended to get to. Because there's trouble, there's problems, there's a stress, there's difficulty, there's um, things in the world that make maybe what you're what you're uh, used to a little bit harder. Do you know what emotional labor is? Yeah, it's well within the lexicon of uh, of feminists in particular. But I think it affects all of us, even though it disproportionately affects women. One author writes, have you ever felt, have you ever felt drained after working to continue smiling at disrespectful customers or faking interest in your coworkers' relationship issues? This type of ever has a name, emotional labor. Is this you? Coworkers' relationship issues is kind of funny to think about, but there is something you have to kind of put on to be able to uh, kind of survive in the world. Women, in particular, are frequently expected to appear empathetic and concerned for others, while simultaneously uh, suppressing any emotion that could be used to dismiss them as irrational or hormonal. Have you experienced this before? A lot of weight you have to carry. And e- even today, the household and home environment de- have demands of emotional labor. And between straight couples in particular, the division of domestic work is uneven. Um, I, think, I think you probably know that this generally is true, even though it may, if it may not apply specifically to your occasion. Um, the division of domestic work is uneven, and women are performing not not only the bulk of household tasks, but also day-to-day management of the home, and uh, even things like maintaining, keeping track of people's schedules and stuff like that. That's all. That's that's all part of the labor that we're talking about. Um, and I want to pause here because you can see this emotional labor displayed even in public. Um, there's so much trouble in the world. It might feel like a long time ago that we had the uh, the Kavanaugh hearings, but you could see this with with uh, Dr. Ford um, 
who, by the way, has had to move four times since the hearing and is still receiving death threats. In case you're keeping track of what's happening. A lot of trouble for this woman. Um, she needed to remain calm, even though she was being grilled by the Senate Judiciary Committee. Meanwhile, just now Justice Kavanaugh could scream and yell, along with, uh, along with Lindsey Graham, too. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. And I don't, my point today isn't just to emphasize this apparent sociological disparity between men and women and who holds the labor. But I think it's noteworthy enough that let's just, you know, hold that, ponder it, at the very least, compute it. But I also think that for many of us, there is um, emotional labor that, that we all experience. Um, even if you're a guy. And this week, and even these last few months, and some of us will say like these last few years have felt uh, laborsome, at least for me. The other day when Justice Ginsburg fell and the headline said, Justice Ginsburg breaks three ribs, I thought, who'd she punch? You know, like, <laughs> whose ribs did she break? But you know, she fell, she hurt herself, right? And I thought... 2016 is never going to end. This year just keeps getting worse, doesn't it? It feels like it's just an extension of the bad year that never is over. We're never going to we're never going to turn a new leaf. You know, like we were singing about. You know, what's what's this ground going to grow? When is God going to make something new happen? There's 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 existential trouble in the world, and that touches us deeply. Many of us are 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 anxious and worried about the state of things. You know, even this election that just happened last week, I was praying for my friends just because they were worried. They were anxious. No matter what the result was, there's still that worry, that fear. You know, for me, I'm not even, I'm not sure what kind of world I'm leaving for my kids. I don't know if it's going to be better. I don't know if I can promise that. So we're searching for hope, another way, for something new. And it's one thing after another. Uh, it seems like there's a weekly mass shooting. Two weekends ago, it was 11 dead in a synagogue in Pittsburgh. That affected a lot of us. People that, people that we know lived right in that neighborhood, biked right past it. Then this weekend, it was Southern California Bar, 12 people. And I felt that this week because, like I said earlier, a close friend of mine goes to law school right around the corner, right in the town over from that bar. And that stuff might weigh on you. And there's more that could weigh on you, right? If you live, a, if you live around these neighbor, this neighborhood, the uh, opioid addiction and crisis might impact you. You might even not know, how, how do I navigate this? How am I supposed to navigate it? How am I supposed to feel? This last year or so, brave women have been sharing stories of sexual assaults and abuse. And every time you hear one of those, your labor might increase the weight might increase. Or maybe it's something else, like it was for me when I saw the uh, seven-year-old in Yemen who was starving one week and then died the next week. And I'm, I'm looking at this picture of a male, as it were, that's her name. And I think, yeah, you're, you, you don't look that different from my kids. That's real. It's, it's, there's something weighty about that. It's personal. What's happening, you know? And, and, and it could be... Uh, it could be other problems. It could be your friend's divorce that weighs on you, your parents' divorce. 
your dad's terminal illness. You know, you might think every time you get a phone call from a certain friend, you think, they're about to announce it. They're about to tell me this. Trouble is coming. Some of us have really experienced that. That's stressful. That's laborsome. That's the emotional labor that we're talking about. Because on top of it all, you have to keep a job. You have to keep good relationships. You have to navigate complicated ones. You have to relate to your spouse in some semblance of, uh, you know, politeness. You have to, like, be nice to your roommates. You have to talk to your three-year-old without freaking out. You know. And you mean to. And then all of a sudden you're yelling at a three-year-old. And you're thinking, this is a terrible idea. This isn't going to work. But you still do it, right? There's still stress. There's still trouble. Because you know when you get too mad at somebody and you raise your voice, you know it's not, the be- it's not your best. But it's what you have. It's what you're going through. It's the trouble. And that anxiety, that labor, we all feel it. And I think we're especially, some of us are especially attuned to it, can turn to despair if we're not careful. And I think the most responsible people among us, and we're responsible people, hold a lot of this labor. It's frustrating to see how some people can just act out or drown their uh, labor away or blaze their labor away, right? They can, just, they can just forget that it happened. But we've got to live a life. We have people to lead. Vulnerable people we're responsible for. It's not easy. It's hard. And we feel responsible to, 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 to not just react to the trouble in our life. And I think that's the condition of the world that we're in. So I, I want you to know I hold it with you. I feel it too. And I, I feel responsible to keep it together as best as I can. My goal for tonight is that to give you a little piece of hope that, that we might um, provide a little bit of hope for someone else, even as a community. To comfort you, we're journeying from despair to hope, from this labor to hope, from uh, this remnant of hope that you know is there to a fulfillment of it. And I'm, I'm, I, I want to say that this journey, this journey toward hope isn't new. In other words, just to speak to our occasion very specifically, it's not just Trump that made us feel this way, right? It can be hard to locate yourself in history when we're living in such an intense time, though. People have felt despair and hopelessness for a long time about a variety of things. It's easy to, to kind of uh, suffer some amnesia about what has happened when you're, when you're looking at the place that you're in now. Trouble has always been brewing, you know. And I want to tell you about another time where a, where a, a prophet felt a similar labor to many of us. God's prophets hold a lot of a lot of despair, a lot of distress. So I'm going to start from, uh, this is, this is I'm, I'm going to tell you a little history from the Old Testament here, so bear with me. Sorry to disappoint you if, if that feels disappointing. <laughs> the United Kingdom of Israel, under uh, you have Saul and then David and Solomon, splits into two kingdoms after a, a northern su- superintendent Jeroboam has a conflict with King Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom of Israel. Rehoboam was the first king of the southern kingdom of Israel. 
and the southern, of, of Judah, in fact. In, in, in Judah, the southern kingdom is important. And I, I want you to hold this because it's the key to the conflict we're going to get to. Judah, because it follows in Solomon's line, is in the line of David. It's in the Davidic dynasty. It's in, it's in an important line for the Jewish people. And we, of course, know it's significant because we, we call Jesus the son of David sometimes. Have you ever seen this before? It's because he's in that line. He's in this Davidic royal line. And the southern kingdom is what holds that. The northern kingdom rebelled from that. And so that's how the, that's the tension that's working. And at the height of, uh, of, of, Ju- of Judean prosperity um, and power, King Uzziah was in charge. And Uzziah had a lot of fortune. And despite being warned about his lust for more power and more wealth, he continued to pursue it. And, and frustrated with his limitations, he gets so angry that he's limited in what he can collect, he breaks out into leprosy. And he's exiled from the kingdom because if you're a leper, you can't hang around everybody. And that's how Uzziah leaves. That's how it works for him. And so Isaiah is called into uh, being a prophet after the reign of Uzziah, where you have Judah that has a lot of wealth and prosperity. And this power and prosperity attracted the attention of foreign empires, specifically the mighty Assyrians. The Assyrian is a neighboring empire. And they're threatening the whole region. They're not just threatening Judah. They're threatening everybody around And so, as you might expect, maybe you don't expect this, an anti-Assyrian coalition forms. And this is a coalition of nations between the northern kingdom of Israel, remember that split off from the southern kingdom, and Damascus. And they're warring against the Assyrians. And now King Ahaz, who's the the king in Judah, has to make a decision about how he's going to keep the kingdom afloat. He can either ally with the northern kingdom and Damascus in this coalition, this anti-Assyrian coalition, or he can ally with the Assyrians. He's worried about allying with the northern kingdom because if he does that, the dynastic, the, 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 the uh, line of David, the Davidic dynasty is dissolved because he allies with the nation that he split from. Does that make sense? And so there's a, he's, he's, he's in a difficult position, and Isaiah is prophesying during this time. He ends up joining the Assyrians, despite Isaiah's warning, despite the prophecy against such an alliance. But can you blame him? The Assyrians have an army, an army that will protect Judah. And Isaiah just has words. And I want you to just hold that for a second. Because even Ahaz has his own emotional labor to hold. And sometimes the words aren't enough. And I'm telling you right now, in this, in, this, in this moment in time, what I'm offering you are just words. It might feel inadequate. It might feel like a problem. It might feel like not a comfort in your own distress. So you can empathize with the king of Judah here. Ahaz gave in to 
Assyrian glamour and prestige and religion and politics. And even in this alliance, he was changing the very fabric of Judah. The right thing to do was to neither enter into an alliance with the northern kingdom, nor was it to join the Assyrians, but to trust God. Judgment followed as the Assyrians and the Egyptians laid waste to the land, and eventually, eventually Assyria conquered the northern kingdom. 200 years after the split, and then the northern kingdoms never heard from again. Ahaz was succeeded by his son, um, Hezekiah. And because the Assyrians are growing in influence, Hezekiah repeats the same mistake that his father did. He allies with the Egyptians this time for protection against the Assyrians, just as Ahaz relied upon Syria for aid against this anti-Assyrian coalition. There's an idolatrous deal happening here when the kings are putting faith in these foreign alliances instead of God. Isaiah refuses to rely on the power of the sword. But he puts his trust in God. His security lies in the covenant with God, not with other nations. And Isaiah predicted that an alliance with Egypt would be worthless and empty and full of shame and disgrace and blood and death. And this alliance with foreign power was problematic for three reasons. One, it demonstrated a lack of faith in God Two, it accepted a new, a, new, a new religion, new culture, new cults even. And then three, it involved uh, uh, an, uh, aiding in foreign military action. So this is, brings us back to where we started. It might be hard for you to relate to these names and places that seem distant to you. There is kind of a political lesson you could learn from here if you wanted to. And I, I think it's fairly evident, but that's not my intention. I want you to feel or at least know that Isaiah in his trouble is holding labor, difficulty. That's the life of the prophet. The prophetic among us feel it more than the others. Right? There are some people that don't feel the pain in the world. And I don't mean to single you out particularly or exclude anybody. I'm just saying the prophet, those of us with the gift of prophecy, so to speak, feel labor in a unique way. So impractical. Trust in God, don't ally with the Assyrians. What are you, nuts? That doesn't make any sense. I'm living in real, I'm, I'm living in the real world now. You know, and when you grow up, you'll have to live in the real world too. Can't just hold on to your idealism. You've heard something like this before, possibly. And so that even adds to the labor. Even as Jerusalem rejoices at the powerful alliances that they make with evil, Isaiah's putting no faith in politics, no faith in military power, no faith in these sort of dealings, only faith in God. Here's what Isaiah says, quit admiring the human race who breathe through their nostrils. Who should, who, who, who should they be admired? And then he says, this is our judge. This is our leader. This is our king. God will deliver us. Politics is based on the power of the sword, according to Isaiah. But Isaiah was waiting for a day when people would beat their swords into plowshares or their uh, spears into pruning hooks. Or does it say tools up here? Someone out loud read this. Someone prophetic read this passage from Isaiah. God will judge between the nations and set up disputes of mighty nations. Then they will beat their swords into iron plows and their spears into pruning tools. Nation will not take up sword against nation. They will no longer rely on the Lord. 
Yeah, we're praying for a time like that too. Isaiah is in distress and he doesn't know where to turn. And this is part of the reason why you would be interested in a story like this. So you can find someone who is in distress just like you are. He's not afraid to cry out to God just like many of us might be and ask, how, how long, oh Lord? How long will this happen? I was telling our pastors this week, I was chatting with them and I was telling them, you know, my friend knew a, a freshman undergrad at Pepperdine who was killed at the bar. And one of our pastors cried out, when will, when will we change? When will this be over? How long, oh Lord? I want to I, I wanna keep feeling that. I don't want to get numb to the trouble that's in the world. This isn't normal. And so if, you're, if your labor is heightened, if your distress is increased, God's is too. God feels this with you. So does, so does Isaiah. Right? There's, there's problems in the world. You know, human wisdom and understanding have failed. In these days, just like in Isaiah's time, we live, we live in a time where people can't tell the difference between evil and good. Here's what he says. Doom, doom to those who call evil good and good evil, who present darkness as light and light as darkness, who make bitterness sweet and sweetness bitter. Isn't that an, a, a timely passage? Because we live in a time where, uh, where you call out good and someone says you're just being partisan. And you call out bad and someone says that's just fake news, right? You wouldn't know the time where the objective reality is even known. It's exactly this. Where do we turn when our best wisdom and discernment fail us? this remnant of hope in God. I will go on doing amazing things to these people, shocking and startling things. The wisdom of their wise will perish. The discernment of their, of, of, of their discerning will be hidden. For Isaiah, he's holding on to a remnant of hope that would save Israel. There's a promise of a new throne, of a, of a new fulfillment God made a promise, a covenant. For that hope to blossom, for that hope to be real. A throne will be established based on goodness and, and, and someone will sit faithfully on it in David's dwelling, a judge who seeks justice and timely righteousness. I hope you're tracking along. The political circumstance that Isaiah found himself in, the king that was, that was holding on to this uh, line of David, this Davidic dynasty, was compromising it in the foreign alliances he was making. That's distressing, that's weighty, that's burdensome. It might be hard for you to imagine how this ancient scenario weighs on Isaiah. But he didn't have a clear way out. He had some ideas, he had some words, and only a, a, a remnant of hope. Kind of a remnant of hope that is a, like you're looking through what Paul would later say, a, a, a mirror darkly lit, right? A glass darkly. You can't really see what's happening in the world. Among Christians, Isaiah is known as the prophet who would prophesy about Jesus. 
But Isaiah had no conception of Christ the way that we do. The hope of the Savior was a distant idea. But it was enough of a seed to hold hope, to hold him. Today we have a similar eschatological hope. That's a, that's a, that's a big word. Uh, we have a similar end of the world hope. We have a wor- uh, hope that, when, that, that something good is coming. We can find that too. But I want to acknowledge that that might feel distant to you. Even though we know Jesus is our king and, and the kingdom was inaugurated 2,000 years ago, that promise um, that sustains us is not unlike God's promise to Zion, to Israel, that sustained Isaiah. Because we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of this remnant of hope. But it might feel distant to you as it did to Isaiah, which brings me to where I want to end. Our community and the love that we share and the promises that we make to each other and the goodness that we have is an expression of that fulfillment of hope. It's evidence of that story. It's that story continuing to be enacted today. God is doing something in us, and I hope you can feel it. I I hope you can experience it and experience it in a palpable enough way that you might share it with someone else. Why do I share about this hope that I have? Because that existential despair that you feel, that emotional labor that you hold on to, other people feel it too. And they don't know what to do. They don't know what to do with their trouble. And so we share it just to lighten the load, right? If I tell you, if we relate, if we connect, at least we're holding it together. You know, I'm not even at the point of, uh, of solving the problem. I'm just sharing it in common. We can lighten each other's loads as we're both conscious of this fulfillment of hope while we still hold on to this remnant. We're participating in this cosmic revelation of hope, this cosmic um, unveiling of hope. While tangibly, right here in community, we're expressing it. So if you feel burdened today, if you feel weight today, I want you to know that you aren't alone that God is feeling it with you, that Isaiah felt it, and that there's people around you that do too, and people that you don't even know that do too. And, and, and some of us know a great secret that delivers some hope. So let's hold on to it. Let's share that secret with someone who's looking for it. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.